0: You're listening to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Green Podcast Network.
1: After the credits roll, there's always more to
2: tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From Shock Treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6.
0: This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel cast, and your host have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast Two, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host Matt Bradley Shirky, and this time we are kicking off a trilogy of um. Hong Kong Films with a Chinese ghost story. This is the original one from 1987. With me is Thrasher.
1: If I carry three lanterns, certainly not all three of them will get blown out.
0: And Alex.
1: I'm going to spend the night in this strange,
2: desolated temple. I sure hope nothing happens.
0: Right. And um, this I, I did a bit of research on this, and it's based off a, a short story from kind of a... I guess you could call it like a Chinese Arabian Nights or something called uh, Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio by Pu Lin uh-huh. From the, From the, I can't pronounce these things. Is it, is it Q pronounced C-H or is it um, Qing Dynasty? Of, it's like Qua. Like Qua. Qua uh, Qing Dynasty? I
2: don't,
0: I don't yeah. Know. Um, something like that. And, you know, there's a story in there called The Magic Sword that has a little bit to do with this, but they really kind of... Did their own thing for the most part. Mm-hmm.
2: I think and, my uh, input is kind of like... I mean, you guys know I'm kind of a Hong Kong nut. And I think you have things like Ricky Lau's Mr. Vampire films coming into the fore. And then you have Choi Hark, who is kind of like the the new kid on the block at the time. And then like his understudy, I guess, in a way, was Ching Su Tung, who... It's like Choi Hark was already kind of a nut. And then Ching Su Tung is like... Charlie Hart cranked up to 11. So you have these supernatural elements and they kind of m- like mingled with martial arts and Wusha cinema, but this is like the full first full on like, you know, kersplosion of those two genres coming together, which is why these movies kick so much ass.
1: Well, beyond yeah, right. that, yep. uh, this this movie just reminds me of it, it kind of reminds me of an old Hollywood movie in a way that it's it's a romance, it's a comedy, it's a horror story, it's, it's a galore. musical.
2: Oh yeah. And Leslie Chung is your perfect like old school studio foil. Like he's kind of like a young Jimmy Stewart. Like he's a little fumbling, baby faced, you know. <laughs> he's pretty helpless through most of this. Well,
0: and he, he came into the scene as like a as a C pop star. So uh, Yeah, yeah. He he, like... And it, he he sings the the opening number that you hear in the over the opening and closing credits. Mm-hmm.
2: Um And also, yeah, Leslie Chung was kind of one of the first like gender bending um Hong Kong actors playing like a lot of characters who are like outwardly uh outed gay characters and like trans characters and stuff like that. But like Peking Opera not Peking Opera Blues, but um Happy Together and um and uh Farewell My Concubine. So he's pretty like important dude. Um we definitely lost him a little too early, but I don't want to get too off track.
0: So so Thrasher, when did you first see this? It sounds like this was a series you, you picked the series this time around and it's it's one that you've um you're a big fan of so
1: yeah, the, the first the first time I saw it would have been in 2001, but I knew of its reputation, like going back a few years before, uh, you know, back on a lot of early uh cult movie fan websites, especially Stomptokyo.com, a Chinese ghost story, was always getting referenced in reviews for other films. And it's something that I I always wanted to track down. And then when I was living in the dorms at the Savannah College of uh, Art and Design, good old Oglethorpe House, go O-House, there was like a little sort of mini convention in the ballroom of that Hmm. dorm, and there was a bootleg dealer, and this was among the several bootlegs that I bought. Uh, and I finally got a chance to see it, and it it was everything I wanted it to be and more.
0: Oh yeah. So how how awful were the subtitles in the bootleg? Were they not that bad?
1: They overall they weren't that bad. They they were uh, the sense I get, and I believe they were from like a from a laser disc. Uh, the sense I get is that they were a bit more transliterated. So like the intent of the dialogue, they tried to make work in English rather than just sort of literally. You know, like whatever they're saying literally in Chinese is not being presented literally in English. Although one of the quirks of that particular bootleg is that for some reason the word reincarnate.
0: Go on. Okay. Yeah, my cat's attacking me.
1: Oh, sorry. the (laughs) The word reincarnate was never properly conjugated. So whenever any character talked about reincarnation in any form, the subtitle was always reincarnation like oh you must you must bury my roots or I can't you must bury uh, my ashes or else I can't reincarnation I mean that
0: adds to the charm a bit Uh,
1: it's
2: a lot of verb stuff like I'll be forwarding this to you instead of like Mm. I'll bring you to the temple or something like that Um, there is a little bit of charm in that like in the version I have like he'll say things like don't move or I'll kill you he's basically saying like sit still be safe you know what I mean and there's like these weird little translations, like in Drunken Master, when Jackie Chan bumps the guy off and his head lands in the poop. He, uh, I think the tra- like the subtitles say uh, "eat shit," but what he's actually saying in Cantonese <laughs> is "hungry dog searches for food," which is infinitely more clever than just "eat shit." But you know, they yes. translate it as best as they can. You know,
0: I think so. And you wanna you know, at that time, especially action movies tended to be R-rated, and you wanted to have like the language in there. You know, even though it has subtitles. Yeah. You kind of have that expectation for 80s films. Um, yeah, with this Chinese ghost story uh, thing, I, I did some research on the, the legends it was based on, and at least from the uh, the, ver- the translation I read that was uh, done by some... Let me look up the guy's name. Um, they have a version you can read for free on Project Gutenberg, but it's from like 1890. It's from like the early, uh, yeah, the late 1800s. By uh, Herbert Giles, uh, and it's kind of this kind of pidgin English version of Chinese, so the names look all weird, and that's not so unusual. But also, a lot of these stories had some kind of uh, you know, like erotic. God damn it, cat had these erotic, sexy scenes, and uh, because it was kind of a Victorian era, what he decided to do was uh, change those scenes where instead of they'd have sex with the fox demon, they would have tea with the fox demon. Oh, uh, wow. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, right. And then apparently, but when these were published, uh, some of these were serialized in newspapers in China. They were also censored in those versions as well. And and speaking of censorship, this was a Hong Kong movie that was a hot ticket item on the mainland. And like uh, through bootlegs, this got a real cult following. And, and watching this, I mainly, this is my first time watching it, this came out in 87, I thought of a lot of The Evil Dead in some ways. Oh yeah, I in, thought in
2: of that, the Evil Dead and John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, well,
0: especially. especially have that Evil Dead kind of camera move where you put a camera on a plank of wood and start running towards something, like the spirit's right. going to go inside someone. Um,
1: well, that, well, that has a lot to do with this film's reputation. I mean, for, for decades, this movie was quite literally referred to in America as The Evil Dead of Hong Kong. Um, oh, okay. And, okay. and you
2: know, what's sense. awesome, too, is that Zoo, uh, Troy Hark's Zoo Warriors of the Magic Mountain was referred to as the Star Wars of Hong Kong because <laughs> it was just <laughs> such a big effects movie that was such a huge blockbuster. So all cool. these things kind of start begin and start with Troy Hark, who is pretty much one of the most important filmmakers in Hong Kong
1: history. And who John Carpenter also lists as an influence. And uh, in many ways, Big Trouble in Little China is a love letter to Troy Hart's films.
2: It almost feels like a co-production, like, between Troy Hart and John Carpenter at times. (laughs) But yeah, there's... There's so many things that uh, I love in this movie, and also it's a testament to just how goddamn entertaining these Hong Kong pictures were in the 80s and early 90s. And then the first 10 minutes you have a beheading, some spooky stuff, um, you know, some wolves chasing dudes through the woods, you have some physical comedy, and this is like, it's like there's, you don't go like 90 seconds in this movie without something physically exciting happening to you.
1: Yeah, the movie is constantly moving and constantly moving forward. Uh, like things just keep happening. Is it's ever that, that Raymond Chandler thing of like, if you don't know what to do in your story, just have somebody barge into the room, waving a gun around. And this <laughs> yeah. movie's the same thing. Only it's like they're rolling on a table. Like, okay. Uh, and now a new ghost shows up. Uh, and oh, yeah. now there's a funny haggling scene. And
2: yeah. And then like, it's like, the so like, imprinted on his cloak, yeah, you know, like ah, oh, that will come in handy later.
1: That that is a slow burn gag with such a lovely payoff.
2: Oh, it's so great! And then, like you, it, it you, you think it's kind of a one-off thing, and then like an hour later, you know, it, it pays off even better. Um, but I, 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 love what's going on, what's going on here, and you just have this like this, this whooshing of so many different elements, and it successfully kind of does all of them. Like I've seen this movie. Like, well, I know you've seen this quite a few times. I've probably seen it 10, 12 times over the years, mm-hmm. and um, every time I watch this film, I, I something new pops out of me. I, either I forget about the tongue, or I forget about the, you know, of crafty and head tentacles. Get... Matt's getting attacked again.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. At least you are yeah. got a
2: taxi. Mine's just a jerk.
0: Well, it, it depends on what he wants. He he had a taste the other day of whipped cream and coffee. Oh, no. Or just just uh, the whipped cream part, not the coffee, and he was fine, but... Now, whenever someone has something in a cup, he thinks it's going to have whipped cream, and he tries to stick his head inside it. <laughs> so there's that aggressive, kitty nature with the kitty claws and teeth. Anyhow, yeah, with um, the Chinese ghost story, I mean, th- the sound effects, I like how kind of cartoony there are, and you have people spinning off in the background back and forth, and it's um, certainly watching it on a TV, it's a bit jarring. Uh, maybe in a theater, it would be less, the images would read better. We were watching kind of the, the old print that's on Amazon Prime but you, you do have I mean you have a lot of camera motion I I think for the time in those action scenes and, and the kind of as Thrasher was getting at a lot of people jumping out of bushes and uh-huh. characters that appear, disappear and reappear and yet it also feels a bit like a fable because of where it's set in the beginning it, it builds a lot of um, sympathy for the the lead character uh, Ning Choi San and I apologize I'm going to mispronounce these names probably um despite my best efforts but you know you he he's out he's in the rain he he has these like scrolls i was a bit surprised he whipped out an umbrella because it looked like there was a little piece on top of his backpack that covered his head but um, yeah i I think to keep the sun off oh oh sure sure that makes sense and he's just looking for a place to sleep in the beginning and uh you have your little bit with the guy's head getting cut off and i mean that's his main goal in the beginning, is he wants a place to rest, and, and he's a he's a tax collector.
1: Which, which is something that is quite possibly unique to this movie. Can you all name, in all of storytelling, I'm not just talking about film, in all of storytelling, can you name me one story where the protagonist is a tax collector? And
2: not only that, but a sympathetic one.
0: Yeah. Um, like,
2: usually a tax collector, like a lawyer or something, it's like, you know, in Jurassic Park, when the guy gets eaten on the shitter, it's
1: like... It's a like
2: a It's a pretty innocuous trade in this movie. You kind of for, completely forget about it, actually, at, at certain points.
1: Well, I really it, do like. I do like it because he he's so he's so hard on his luck. He's just so sort of shit upon in the opening credits, and, and yet you know he we get so much sympathy for him that when he when he forges an innkeeper's books to collect extra money from the innkeeper, you're on his side when he does. Oh that. yeah
0: well because he he makes this big journey and it's a real pain in the ass and you know people keep on pushing him and shoving him and he falls in the mud all that stuff and and when he gets there to collect his first money uh, because it's been pouring down rain and he wasn't able to keep things dry enough the the accounting records are all just smears of ink so <laughs> as, as the shopkeeps rightly say well you don't have any proof that we owe you money i'm not going to give you anything
2: yeah exactly And what I love, too, is that we have our hero, our our, our lead dude, Leslie Chung, and like I said, he's kind of, he's a little helpless, he's a little clueless, baby-faced, and then when he, once things get going, we run into Wu Ma's character, who's literally credited as Swordsman, Ying Shaq Hai, and this guy, I mean, Wu Ma is one of those Hong Kong players, who has been in literally everything, this guy's got more screen credits than, you know, you can count, um and it's great cuz it starts off with him facing off with this other dude and what do they say he's like we've been fighting every night for like 7 years or something like that
1: yeah the the one the younger swordsman keeps tracking the older swordsman down and they keep having these apocalyptic clashes in isolated yeah, locations yeah and
2: like this is in like you know Lovesy Chung just kind of like by you know chance just w- stumbles into these apocalyptic you know end all duel to the death sword fights well, it's and like it he wandered funny.
1: into the climax of a different movie <laughs>
2: Exactly, yeah. And it's kind of like Ching Su Tung, like almost like satirizing the Wuxia traditions, and that, like, you're going to get some of that, but in a ghost story. And it's like, you know, the main thing for Leslie Chung is like Wu Ma's, like I said, it's a climax for another film. And, like, for Wu Ma's character, you can feel like this is like his, like, B story, you know what I mean? He's like, you know, when he faces off with this next challenger, he's going to be, you know, rattling off anecdotes about this, like, giant tongue monster he fought, and that was kind of like an afterthought, you know? <laughs>
0: And, and the way the sword master looks, it's, you know, a really fake looking beard. Oh yeah. He, he, he's always intense. He even has a musical sequence, which surprised me. Um, and he's just always, he reminds me of a frog. He's just always hopping around, coming out of nowhere. You're not quite sure whether to trust him or not. I mean, when he first sees him, he's in the middle of battle. And, and you really don't know what's going on other than the setup that um, our hero uh, name is going to be, you know, Spend the night in this goof, in this uh, not goofy, in this like scary kind of haunted temple, and people are placing bets on when he's going to die, and all these things in the village. So,
1: and well, something I love about the the temple, where because of course he can't because af- he has no money, he can't afford to buy a place in town. So as a half joke, they say, "Oh, well, there's this temple up the road you can stay at." <laughs> uh, but the thing I love about the temple is that. It is. It is has so many nested layers of haunting because you got oh, yeah. the zombies who are the leftover remains of all the people who have had their life force drained by the tree demon. You of course have the tree demon who attacks people with a giant tongue. Then you've got the tree demon's adopted daughters who are go- innocent ghosts who are forced into seducing men so the tree demon can take their power. <laughs> Plus, you've got the magic swordsman, it's, and you've yeah. got the, the demon wolves. <laughs> Oh, yes, course,
0: yeah, and that had like the hand animated yellow eyes, uh, which, is, I, which is always a good touch. And uh, I mean, just to see how they have um, Joey Wan as as Nip Su Sin as the the lead female character in this. She's Taiwanese, couldn't speak to almost anyone on set because she didn't really know Mandarin. Um, I think one other actor on the set knew, knew some Taiwanese, and they spoke a little bit to each other. She was quite young when they made this, and she does a good job of, like, she has to seduce the main character kind of, like, several times, but she has to be mysterious, and she has to, you know, not really let you on to what's happening until later in the film, when you get kind of an exposition dump, and it, it's a really tricky part and I, I love the scene where they're taking the uh, when he's in the bath trying to hide uh-huh. and then she has to take a bath and still hide and you get it, it, you know it doesn't it's not a crude it's not like an American pie scene you don't see full frontal nudity right. or anything but just just the reaction shots of he's trying not to look and he sneaks another look again and, and meanwhile the, the her sisters and stuff come in or are asking questions of them it, it's really quite something uh, I think it's just a real special kind of good slapsticky scene. Yeah, know. and
2: like, like Jackie Chan got it too. In that, so many of these dudes at this time realize that there's um, so much good stuff to glean from like silent comedy. And this feels like an old like you know Max Sennett routine or something like that, where it's very much a physical comedy thing played for laughs. Someone's trying not to be detected, but with um, with uh, this kind of supernatural, is that um, vampires, monsters, what have you, can detect humans around by their breath. So you basically literally have to hold your breath the whole time. It was like that in the Mr. Vampire movies or even in um, Miyazaki's uh, Spirited Away. Remember, the Sen has to hold her breath that, in the bridge scene. So it's a it's a great thing played for laughs. And again, it's just like you're going to just inoculate every scene with as much energy as you can. And this movie just doesn't light up for a bit. And, it, and yet it's never relentless, which is what I uh, love about it so much.
0: Right. And you mentioned Jackie Chan. There's a 92 film he did called Twin Dragons where... I think he plays, like, twin brothers separated at birth. One is a...
2: One's a conductor, and a, the other one's, like, a one's a conductor. Uh, gangster,
0: right? Yeah, one's a gangster, but there's a scene where both of them, like, a woman comes into the bathroom, they're both taking a bath with each other, and then they keep yep. on having to hide under the bubbles to... They'll pretend to, to be make, one another, yeah. Pretend to be one another, and it's, I was kind of reminded... Um, about that scene, watching this, the bath scene in Chinese Ghost Story. Well, Grasher... So this this yeah, bath on.
1: scene... I do, yep. have, I do have to point out, this bath scene was recreated almost shot for shot in the episode of Xena Warrior Princess, The Debt. Do you all remember this? No. Yeah, there's, no, a, there's a two-part actually. episode of Xena Warrior Princess where she goes to China. And that they, they reproduce this scene. There's, like, she hides in a bath to escape a potential assassin. And they even do, cause that's the best part of the scene is when, you know, the, the tax collector is going to, he's running out of breath. And so, uh, Su-Sin just leans into the tub, like she's washing her face, but is passing her breath to him. They do that exact same <laughs> sort of Xena.
2: Nice. Yeah. It's, um, I love that the, you know, out of all the, um, Hong Kong films going on at this time for, and, and, you know, with, uh, you have so many kind of um, spackle the, the Western, um, you know, market. I'm so glad that Chinese Ghost Story trilogy is one of them that leaked out, you know, because there's so many and it very well could have been something different and maybe not as strong a film. But Chinese Ghost Story is definitely the one to go with. Um, and if you're familiar with more of uh, Ching Si work, like the, the Swordsman films or um, even the later movie uh, An Empress and Her Warriors, his first film, A Duel to the Death, is completely... That shit crazy, and you can see that influence in A Chinese Ghost Story, with just how unrelentingly crazy it is. It's uh, such an energetic film.
0: Right. Um, watching this, I, I think, you, you see... I mean, the tone changes so much, I was kind of baffled. I, I kind of <laughs> wondered, did audiences feel this way when they watched the original Ghostbusters in theaters?
2: Right, and it's like, you you almost feel like like you got the entire trilogy in one film. Like this yeah, is like there's a lot movie going movie on. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, like, I want to ask you guys, um, there's a lot of, like, Taoist magic, and what I think is so fascinating is when Swordsman does stuff, like, he'll mark, like, you know, three dudes with a sword or whatever, then he'll scrawl a, um, you know, yin-yang in his hand, and then through palm power... He can almost, like, it's like, could you imagine, like, Van Helsing, like, shooting a crucifix from his palm and making, like, vampires explode? Like, this is kind of, like, that level of, like, Taoist magic, which is so fucking cool. Well, and so I, I can imagine it. I don't think they'd make it. Right, exactly, yeah. they just, like, and it happens so quick, they don't explain a goddamn thing. You basically just piece it together in that if you scrawl some kind of holy imagery and throw a talisman and whip a sword through it, you can make demons explode. <laughs>
1: Where he 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 keeps popping out it's it's really it's really strange because like he keeps popping out like new powers but it doesn't seem like the screenwriter cheating it seems to work because he's such this he's such a weird old man you just kind of expect right. him to have powers
2: and you see these things the like I there's like a little lineage of them where I'm kind of dorkily reluctant to admit that I've kind of like kind of studied it a little bit with like um the lom shinging movies have you seen the mr vampire movies
1: yes yes I have
2: Oh, there's so much fun, and like, there's a lot of that kind of where you hang like a talisman on a vampire and they'll stop hopping, or if you you know scrawl something in a piece of you know of a jug and throw it at a mirror, it'll trap their souls or whatever. So you have all this like wacky stuff. So you kind of start tracking it, and you realize that like, so yeah, if you are endowed with some kind of a power, then you can you know scrawl something on your palm in your own blood, I guess, and that'll uh, give you the ability to you know shoot shit at people. And this goes back to like silent wuxia films of, like, the burning of the Red Lotus Temple, where, like, palm power is very much a thing. Like, in King Boxer, you know, you see his hands light up and shit like that. Or even, like, Hadugan in, in Street Fighter.
1: Well, there's, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of, like, Taoism. Like, we talked about the the, uh, the swordsman's surprise musical number, but most of his <laughs> musical number is him sort of quoting and paraphrasing different uh, phrases from Taoist scripture.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one part where my bootleg kind of cut out,
1: because the translations are pretty much incoherent <laughs> well he's well he's saying so much so fast i'm not surprised that it does that, that the subtitles might not be able to keep up but i mean that's that's even like the opening you know the the spoken dao is not the true dao is like the first line of the song <laughs> and that's also one of the big principles that, that I, i've seen show up in daoist texts
2: yeah it's uh it's it's so it's so much fun and they throw it so quick too i love it like it's blinking you'll miss it you'll see like you know seven different cuts within a few seconds, and then next thing you know you got people exploding and swords are flying around oh and so they do
1: one... a...
0: hmm? well, they do a wonderful effect when the the um when they're fighting they they jump away and they're kind of twisting as they jump and there's this like signature sound effect you hear,
1: yeah, that sort of scooby doo mm-hmm.
2: yeah that like whoosh, I love it. And it gives the film so much life, all the sound effects and Foley effects, and whooshing and whooshing, and blue day for night photography. So
1: there's there's two things that I that I did that I did want to talk about on uh, is that so whenever. Uh, whenever, uh, Leslie Chung goes back to the city where he's supposed to be collecting taxes, there's this running gag where if ever, like, somebody says, stop, these, like, brutish guards assume that, like, a crime must be happening and they show up and (laughs) start beating whoever the first person they see up. And, but also there's a, there's a scene where, uh, Leslie goes to talk to this, uh, court magistrate late at night. And it's just this wonderful bit of comedy where the magistrate just keeps talking about how, look, you need to pay court fees. Also, you need to bribe me. Also, if you want a specific <laughs> verdict, there's a fee for that. And he has this. Uh, it's a Wang Jing, and then his secretary uh, is played by David Wu, who are also uh, like uh, who are also producers. Uh, and so I'm, I'm assuming it's it's like a very deliberate cameo. But the th- the thing the thing I wonder uh, is, so do you think that? these things are 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 sort of pointed political satire based on you know what was going on in Hong Kong at the time. Or do you think it's just government officials being portrayed as incompetent and funny because that's always funny and that's always relevant?
2: I say both, but i always I always tend towards the political uh, metaphor allegory because it's something that kind of courses through Choi Hart's filmography as well as Ching tongues um. And, and even in something as, like, insane as this, you have a lot of, like, little political subcurrents. Like, I think when the two swordsmen are duking it out and he says, you know, we've been fighting every day for seven years. Seven years feels very specific, and I think that goes I, – I, I might be wrong on my time here, but I think that might date back to when Margaret Thatcher and the president of uh, – the, the former um, president of China and Hong Kong delegated the um, Two Country, One System Act uh, – and um, also set the date for the end of the um, the end of the Lisa ceremony. We didn't set the date. The date got set back in the eighteen hundreds, but um, or in the early nineteen hundreds, rather. Uh, so yeah, a lot of uh, political subcurrent going on. And also, like you said, it's fun to satirize authority figures, you know. But if you watch something like Troy Harks*, *Seminal*, uh, *Peaking Opera Blues*, I mean, that's just—it's literally a political thriller.
0: And the the, the original you know, legends; these are these are based on have political criticisms of the culture of the of the time in it as well, so you have that also translated through the you know when this was filmed in the eighties and Hong Kong is always like its own sort of thing compared to the movies from mainland China at that time so they had a lot more um, a lot more freedom a lot more they just had a lot they could stretch their legs quite a bit more without the as much of the censorship.
2: Yeah, and I just checked it out. Uh, it was negotiated in the early 80s between Deng Xiaoping and Margaret Thatcher, mm. the uh, One Country, Two Systems Act, which is something that's referenced in other films in this series as well as the Mr. Vampire movies as well. So I feel like that's definitely a reference to that.
0: All right. So... Thrasher, like when, when you first saw this movie and you were watching it on the bootleg, how would you say the quality on the bootleg compared to this version we watched on Amazon Prime?
1: The, uh, so be- between the two, I prefer the subtitles on my bootleg. They just seem more mm-hmm. natural, more flowing, more clearly communicating the intent of the dialogue rather than the literal meaning. That being said, the image and sound on the print we watched on Amazon was crisper. Not by a huge order of magnitude, hmm. but enough that I noticed. Like, especially on scenes where there was, like, a very bright light source. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like that, that really powerful opening where there's the lantern that falls into the basin of water. That yep. looked so much better on the uh, Amazon print. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I
0: liked how the Amazon print looked beat up. I didn't really have much to compare it to, aside from a, a Blu-ray I think rip I saw a little bit of on YouTube that looked really, really crisp. Um and and the subtitles I'm glad the text wasn't really cut off at the bottom like how it was done when we did the uh oh
2: the, the battle the without
0: yeah the thank you the acres yeah. of papers um because that was just really really distracting I mean there's some parts where there's typos and you're always going to have some mistakes with the subtitles and I it just makes me wonder Whenever I'm watching one of these, I always feel like there's there's whether cultural or political references that I'm missing. But I think because this was a period piece, I seem to feel that less.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Because I know nothing of the historical period, but it, because it's so long ago, it's like, well, I can kind of. Go with it more. They won't be referencing politicians or any of these things that'll right. sort of throw me off or make me want to be oh can I, Let me pause it and look it up on Wikipedia for five hours.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> and there you go. Also, um,
2: like the whole Hong Kong thing's like a thing with me, so I'm always kind of like on the lookout for it. So
1: yeah, well, this. Oh, go on. Well, well so, something. So something that that really struck me on this rewatch uh, so there was actually a very uh, a a very touching very chaste very much no nudity uh, love scene between uh, Ning Choi Song and uh Nip sui Seen and the and for and during that scene they cut back to like important moments the character of Cher, these little quick cut flashbacks yeah this may be the only time a movie cutting back to itself was not an indicator of a bad movie.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, we're at this, uh, it's using its own footage, and it actually works to, much, to its, uh, much to its great effect. Um, and yeah, I, I totally bought into the love story, and this film does predate another favorite of mine from the period um, Bride with White Hair. It predates Bride mm-hmm. with White Hair, and you can almost see where uh, Ronnie Yu got a little inspiration for it. Because you see a lot of like you know um, uh, Joey Wong underneath like the waterfalls and like the you know the chiny romancy music and stuff, um, but it, it works so well, and you kind of need it there, or else it might just seem a little maybe a little too silly. I'm not sure what I'm not sure what you could do to make this film seem silly because it should, but it doesn't feel silly. It's just great. Um, yeah, I, I, I did dig the love story and the whole um, the whole the whole way it was executed between Leslie Chung and and Joey Wong. Hey, Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about?
1: Well, Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders, but it's actually about comics.
0: War Rocket Ajax. It's not about murders, but it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hunter, Hunter, Yu Yu
1: Hakusho, literary analysis, comparative localization, Jojo references. The works of Yoshihiro Togashi hold a specific kind of magic and the people who seek to examine their roots and spiritual descendants are known as the spirit hunters available on the greenlit podcast network oh that's the that's the other thing though i i like about about the love story it doesn't end tragically but it doesn't end with them being together cuz the whole the whole deal is that uh so seen, uh, because the roots of the evil tree got around her urn, that's why she can't reincarnate and why she has to serve the demon tree. So the whole, the whole ending is everything they're doing is to try to place her urns in consecrated ground so that, so that she can reincarnate. So it, it's a love story where the, conc- where the happy conclusion is the lovers parting forever.
2: Yeah, which I, I do love as kind of a fatalistic kind of um, ending. And also, you know, it, it, it's kind of testament, to, it, not testament, but um, consistent with the theme of like, you know, the dead are dead and the living are living. You know, there's there's two worlds, the spirit world and the and
1: the real world. But, but I love that the rules are inverted because they even specifically say when a living person goes to the land of the dead, the dead can't see you because you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in the land of the living, the living can't see the dead because they're dead.
2: Yeah, I know it's a very good breakdown of that, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's real simple, but it it works, uh, and because I could because to- I could totally see it in a in a lesser film, and certainly if this movie was like remade for America, uh, after succeeding, the main character would of course fi- randomly find a woman who looks exactly like the woman he just lost, and then. There, you get your right. tacked-on happy ending. I love that. I love that the ending here is is sort of is sort of melancholy. Like they've do, they've done good. The tax collector and the swordsman have done good, but right. now they must get on with their lives.
2: Exactly. And um, yeah, like you said, they'd find a woman that looked just like her, or you know, there'd be another book that they didn't find with a spell or enchantment spell or something like that. You know, and nothing lame like that. Just you know, like you said, there's a there, there's a delineated world. Uh, you know, line between the spirit world and the and the real world. And um, yeah, everyone just kind of goes along with their business and um and like so many movies from this period definitely leaves the door open for a sequel <laughs>
1: which sure. is uh which is key well, if yep. only because our principles are still alive <laughs> yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> so any last thoughts on a Chinese ghost story
2: Oh, um, so many, but i will you know what I will say is that even though there's Culturally, maybe some stuff that's not as familiar to us as, you know, some, as it would be to, um, you know, our friends in the East. I have or I feel like with all the crazy shit going on, with all the Taoist magic that I don't completely comprehend and, and the martial arts and the historical notes and the oh, maybe political metaphors, this movie still makes more sense to me than, like, say, another, like, supernatural saga from the States, like, say, like the Twilight films or Van Helsing or something like that. Like, this Crackerjack, bonkers, off the wall, fucking movie. You know, like it just seems so much more easy to me than than something like uh, like a Twilight film or something like that. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Did, did you have a hard time like with the overall like movie?
1: Well, you know what I think. What I think a lot a lot of it is is that with with the, is that despite all the what the over the top stuff that's happening in this movie. Uh, it does feel that the story makes sense within and of itself like we don't need any lengthy exposition explaining right. how ghosts work and explaining how magic works because everything in the film at least appears to be completely self-consistent and so yeah. it doesn't overly hold your hand you can just kind of come along for the ride and I think and I think that is that is the difference This movie trusts its audience to sort of pick up, how the supernatural stuff works as opposed to a lot of a lot of uh let's say american supernatural films where at some point there is just a whole lot of exposition explaining how the supernatural stuff works and even then the movie itself may not be consistent with the rules that it sets out right and i think the other thing
2: too is that this movie is so thoroughly entertaining oh yeah it's it's, it's entertaining before anything else, and I think that doesn't give you a second to really doubt or second-guess some of its logic, and understands that, for, uh, above all else, is that a film should be entertaining. And I think that's why this movie makes more sense to me than maybe some of the more drawn-out, obviating uh, Hollywood fare.
1: And I really appreciate the variety, because these characters are always true to themselves, even though every new scene, the movie changes genres.
2: Right. And it's like, you know, like you said, like you said, with like, um, like Matt, you were saying, with like Wu Ma's got the very obvious makeup and the very beard, oh, his beard. And it's like, you know, it probably took him about five minutes to prepare for this character. He's probably, you know, I'm the wise <laughs> swordsman guy. I've got the long eyebrows and the long beard and I'm a badass, you know, boom, done. And that's what you need. You need these kind of archetypes that work to the story's benefit and make the film so much more, uh, have so much more momentum and so much propulsion to it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I did like the the movie that has a good pace, as you mentioned, keeps on changing genres, as Thrasher mentioned. And when they explain things, they're pretty upright with what's happening because the pacing, it seems to be the big thing above all. They have to keep that story moving, and it has a pretty short length and all these things. And it um, yeah, I'd give this sequel yes. I think it's, it's charming. I was a little bit confused at, at certain points. I think I might have to watch it more than once to kind of get... What's going on? Because there's so much stuff thrown at you. Oh, yeah. Not that the plot is terribly complicated, but you're like, wait, what? Who's this guy? What's happening? <laughs> that I think this is something that would reward um, further watches, even though there's not a whole lot of characters in the film. Mm-hmm. And I I do love how pathetic those little skeletons that live underneath the <laughs> in the basement are, where he he drops, uh, part of his clothes get torn off, and he he goes down the ladder and steps on them. And they look so sad.
2: I
1: know. Also and then he accidentally that, uh, defeats them by throwing open an old window. <laughs> right. Yes. I
2: love that Wu Ma's adversary is shrunken into like a little like, you know, reanimated corpse. You know, yeah, I think he picks him up and says something like, ah, you weren't that great to begin with or something like that. Like, he kind of throws some shade at him. But I respect like a,
1: you but... enough that I won't let the I won't let your body be exposed to the elements.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. I love that 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 character is not completely disposable.
0: So, would would you uh, Thrasher? Would you give this a sequel? Yes or sequel? No?
1: Absolutely. This 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 movie, like this this movie, deserves its reputation. Uh, it was thoroughly entertaining. I absolutely want to see more things by this creative team with these themes, possibly even with these characters. This is an absolute, you know, sequel. Yes. It it's it's earned its ranking on the list of one hundred best uh, Chinese motion pictures.
2: And Alex. Oh, total. If it wasn't already obvious, definitely a uh, huge sequel yes. Um, this is an endlessly fun film. i've I've shown it to so many people over the years. And regardless of what your uh, preference is movie wise, i haven't I haven't felt anyone I haven't seen anyone feel disappointed or let down or confused by it. They're always um, compelled just because it's such a unique um, and uh, in so many ways, fearless movie. And if you dig this and you want more Ching Su Tung, I would recommend his debut feature, uh, Duel to the Death, which is where a a Chinese warrior and a Japanese warrior get together for this huge, you know, freaking super duper, uh, you know, Duel to the Death. Um, You get to see a severed head get kicked off somebody's body onto a branch where he says (laughs) an anecdote and then it explodes. And that makes Mm -hmm. perfect sense to the plot. Um, Also, he did like kind of an Indiana Jones riff called The Raid, not the... Thai film of recent mm-hmm. years, but uh, uh, a really fun kind of adventure flick, and um, the Swordsman trilogy. Uh, Swordsman, which was kind of a director of medley of uh, Ching Tong, Choi Hark, Anhui, um, Hoi, like three other dudes. Uh, Swordsman 2 uh, with Jet Li, and then Swordsman 3, The East is Red. Um, those were really fun. So yeah, definitely sequel, yes.
0: Very good. So let's do a uh, pitch, a sequel, which will be kind of tricky for all this, but I think what I, what I would do is we had mentioned excuse me. Um, we had mentioned that the lead character was a tax collector. And I, I think I would do a prequel about him being mentored and how he became a tax collector. Hmm. And you would include kind of hints of these like supernatural things that would happen to to get him to where he's at in this movie.
1: Would he, like, remain unaware of the supernatural stuff happening to him the whole yeah, time? Yeah, no,
0: he would be extremely clueless, and, and the supernatural <laughs> things maybe would be more and more obvious, and he would just think, like, oh, that, that's just good luck, or, or maybe I should listen right. to this person. And it would, some to have some drama in there, because it's just about tax collecting, th- there'd have to be something about, like, passing the family line of, of being a tax collector, it may be some kind of Wall Street Oliver Stone style shenanigans of betrayal, and and I would call it uh, a Chinese tax collector. But in parentheses, maybe a ghost story. <laughs> the question mark.
2: Like uh, like the Doctor Strange love title.
0: Yes. <laughs> so so that's mine. Uh, Thrasher.
1: Uh, so uh, my sequel, I want to play around with reincarnation. So this is going to take place like many decades later. <laughs> And in, and it's going to be, so the tax collector, uh, is nearing death because he's just, you know, he's an old man now he's retired. He's, he's made his fortune. He's actually a well-respected and effective, uh, member of, uh, the empire's bureaucracy. Um, and so he's, he's dying, he's near death, but because he so offended, uh, the king of the iron mountain, the, that sort of Duke of hell in this movie, uh, that he that the duke of hell has now marshaled his strength again and wants revenge on the tax collector so as the tax collector approached death uh, approaches death uh the great evil of the iron of the of the black mountain keeps sending demons and ghosts to torment him trick him and otherwise drag him into hell uh so uh, Suisin has now been reincarnated. She's now uh, and her reincarnation is now an adult, and so she's mystically drawn to the tax collector, and she ends up becoming his his protector. And her job becomes to fend off these these demons and other spirits until uh, he suff- until he he has a natural death and can be properly reincarnated. And just because I really like the character, uh, Wu Ma will be back as Yin, Ch- Yin Chi Ka, except he will be sort of a Jedi ghost. Like, he is dead, but he's <laughs> purposefully sticking around as an advisor to make sure that everyone he ever knew kind of gets their own proper good death and can move on before he moves on. I don't want him to be immortal. I just want him to be be a Jedi ghost. In the title? Oh, I'll just, I'll just call it... Uh, uh, Chinese uh, Chinese ghost story two uh, a, a reincarnated savior and Alex.
2: I, uh, so mine's gonna take. I'm gonna go the prequel route as well, where um, you have a great giant council meeting of uh, these two, you know, kind of imperial politicians of the time. And um, what they're going to be deciding is, uh, you know, these big, uh, you know, territory negotiations and, and, and tax negotiations and trade negotiations, almost a la like a Star Wars prequel. Yeah, I was about story. to say the
1: taxation of outlying systems is.
2: Yes. Right, exactly. So and what you have is that one of them is going to be played by a, um, a, a Margaret Thatcher character uh, played by a large, you know, imposing bossy British woman. <laughs> and the other one will be, you know, kind of like a traditional Chinese emperor dude. And they're going to be hashing it out. And then what you're going to have is that their underlings are going to be uh, Wuma and Wei, the two swordsmen we saw fighting earlier. So once this disagreement goes down, these two former allies become bitter rivals. And then their factions war within each other and everyone gets slaughtered. And it turns out that this whole place where this was going down was the... Land Ro Temple, where we find ourselves at the Chinese ghost story, and that this all took place like seven, ten years prior to the story that we're seeing now and um, so all the ghosts and, and bodies in the downstairs are actually the people that had been slaughtered in the uh, in the civil, little civil war that happened between these two negotiations, which is going to obviously be an allegory for the um, One Country Two Systems Act between uh, Thatcher and uh, Deng Xiaoping, and it's going to be called a a Chinese prequel.
0: There you go. All very neat ideas. Let's uh, move on to what you're watching. I've been watching um, a TV series that's about, I think, halfway over. It only has eight episodes a season. I'm talking about Mandalorian Season 2. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but I will say it does seem like it's spinning its wheels a bit. They, they end episodes with these like teasers or these reveals that should you know, mean a lot and you think the next episode is gonna go there, but instead the episode goes somewhere else.
1: Yeah, there has been a lot of delayed gratification in this season.
2: And let me ask you guys, because I haven't yes, seen it, sure. do you need to have seen The Last Jedi to I mean, um the most recent Star Wars film to like comprehend no, the Mandalorian? Not at all. Oh, okay. Cool.
0: In fact cool. in fact I think it's set before uh Force Awakens, is that
1: right? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's 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 my understanding that it takes place six or so years after Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. Very cool.
0: Along those lines, I will say that in, I had a little bit of this in season one, more in season two, they make references to things from the animated Clone Wars series. Okay. That if you haven't seen that, I don't know if you'd be confused, but it's stuff. I don't know. It's kind of like those teasers at the end of those Marvel movies where, characters say something and maybe a small amount of the audience is like oh that means something right like so, i get it they get my I get thing it.
2: right Right. okay so I, it wouldn't be a deal breaker it would just be kind of our no
0: prefer. and I, I i like in general how simple this how light on lore the storytelling is and it is at its core a western um
1: mm-hmm. it's also lone wolf and cub yeah oh, very much say, it yeah. Looks
0: like
2: lone wolf and cub right which is yep, pretty and,
0: awesome. And, and Baby Yoda, or the child, as they call him, is uh, an important character, even though he doesn't speak, he just kind of makes baby noises, and sometimes he'll do um, things like put eggs in his mouth.
2: Ooh. Lucky so, you
0: do. Yes. And, um, <laughs> there, I mean, there, there's a wonderful character in Season 2 called Frog Lady, <laughs> that once that she speaks... The subtitles just say frog lady speaks in frog language (laughs) and you never get a good deal of what she's saying. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's all I want to say about Mandalorian. Do you have any thoughts about it so far? Thrasher? Well,
1: just uh, the overall, overall, I'm, I, I have still been enjoying it. This most recent episode directed by Carl Weathers. I did not know he was a director, but I like what he does. Uh, also, it's it's interesting. So, two two things I want to point out is that one, I don't know if you've seen the, the it inspired a meme, Admiral Jeff Blue Jeans. Have you heard about this? No. no. So, in the most so, there's a there's a shootout scene in this most recent episode of The Mandalorian, uh, where the the short of it is half of a stagehand can be seen standing behind an open door in the background. Just just a complete a complete flub, but somebody spotted it. Uh, and so because you can now see this person in the back see the person's like one pant leg and half of a shirt in the background mm-hmm. of a shot and he's wearing just normal production assistant stuff, you know there's there's been this there, there's been this kind of half ironic call to canonize who they're calling Admiral yeah. Jeffrey Blue Jeans <laughs> as a person who exists in Star Wars. He's just an imperial that. officer who wears jeans. he likes to be relaxed <laughs> and casual. but the other thing is, they do without drawing too much attention to it. They they do often make reference to old old pieces of of the Star Wars expanded universe. And this most recent episode, I was rather delighted. It appears to end with a reference to Dark Forces.
0: Oh yeah, okay. with the the troopers. Yeah, yeah, it, armor.
1: Yeah, it appears that the dark troopers from Dark Forces may be introduced <laughs> into the series.
0: Yep. Yeah, um. It also was a little strange in the most recent episode, you have stormtroopers and imperials and so forth, which isn't always, mostly is not the case, in fact, in this show. And uh, it's a lot of American accents, they're not all British.
2: Hmm. What I think is interesting is that, you know, with anything Star Wars related, you're going to like, you know, like, it's always going to be like, you know, two one one third are going to be in love with it another third are going to be completely yep. outraged and the, the other 30 is going to be kind of like ah you know i kind of like it the mandalorian <laughs> seems pretty uniformly liked which makes me kind of like less intrigued like when like last gen mm-hmm. came out you know we had like the wrath of one half and like the adoration of the other um and the same thing with you know solo and then you have something like um uh the rise of skywalker which seems pretty uniformly panned by a lot of fans um so I'm I'm kind of curious how, what kind of tone it's going to strike, because it seems like it's pretty uniformly liked. Um, it's not as yeah. divisive as Star Wars films.
0: I think, I mean, the Mandalorian stuff I easily like better than uh, any of the sequel trilogy or the other two movies. I mean, Rogue One I liked quite a good bit, so perhaps not as good as yeah, that. Rogue One but, rocks, yeah. But this one, I yeah, I mean, they just keep on more or less consistently nailing it. Even, you know, the first half of the season two, it's been... Very action-focused, very light on the story. It's literally almost kind of feels very video game in a way. Oh, I've got to get here, but first I've got to find the thing to give to the guy. Yeah. Have to go to the fishing planet to it level. To, to, to fix to the... Uh, level. It, I know, we didn't <laughs> fix my ship enough, so i got to go somewhere else to get it fixed again. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah, it's... It's, um, this it's like a Sierra game. It does. It does feel <laughs> like a space quest or something, yeah. But um, no, Mandalorian Season 2, I, I'm enjoying, but I hope it... Uh, dives a bit deeper for the second half of uh, the season. Hmm. Um, Alex, what have you been watching?
2: Oh boy, what have I been watching? I've been watching a lot of cool stuff, but one cool uh, little relic, not relic, but older film I'd watched was um, the uh, Cagney vehicle, uh, Men of a Thousand Faces. Have you guys seen it? Oh,
0: it's a biopic. Uh, I I know of it. I haven't seen it yet, but how is it? Chaney. Mm -hmm.
2: It's great um i i think it's a terrific film it's like the granddaddy of, of biopics it, it tells a story about a you know a, a, an imperfect but very brilliant person um we get a little peek behind the curtain and we get some little notes on the notable parts of his career um and it was crazy because i i'm thinking this is just like a, a classic i hadn't seen yet and i was looking up the response to it and it was very like lukewarm tepid response or, I think a lot of people were kind of like, oh, this is just another dumb biopic. And it's like, well, you know, there's a formula here and they kind of did it right. And, um, yeah, sure. It might seem familiar to us in a contextual basis. Cause we've seen biopics before, but it just kind of shows that there is a formula. And when it's followed it's really quite good. And, um, I will also say that this is one of Cagney's, one of his best performances. I mean, which is saying a lot cause Cagney is, you know, he's like the actor actor, like, You know, he kind of supersedes the director of whatever movie he's in, whether it's, you know, Michael Curtiz or Raoul Walsh, you know, whether you're doing Yankee Doodle Dandy or White Heat or The Public Enemy. Um, And he's doing a really subtle, nuanced, but energetic performance here as Lon Chaney. Um, Really, really great movie. And if you can get the Arrow Blu-ray, I would definitely recommend it because it looks beautiful. Um, Yeah, check it out. The Man of a Thousand Faces. I mean, if you're a horror film fan at all, you're going to love it because it's, you know, about Lon Chaney. The original, um, you know, horror icon, and it's kind of so, cool so. How much also...
0: of it is is them recreating famous scenes from the movies he was in?
2: Um, there's a chunk. I would say, like percentage-wise, it's it doesn't dominate the film. Okay, um, good. It is very much. And what's cool is that you do get a lot of uh, like movie production stuff, like extras getting called for movies and stuff. Like you know, kind of gate crashing the studios to get parts. Um, yeah, like just the way kind of would hustle his way into certain films and stuff like that. And there's a cool gag where he um, sketches the characters he creates in like a his portfolio, so you know it'll kind of be like like the scary dude, the Englishman, you know, the old lady, and will like kind of like sketch the makeup out and how he looks in it. So it's a it's a really cool film, and a lot of there's a lot of cool framing devices in it too, and a lot of old timey stage stuff like him doing mime performances on the on the stage before you know talking pictures, moving pictures were a thing, and also he was freaking what 47 when he died
0: oh is that it okay
2: yeah for, or maybe 57 19, 1883 to 1930 yeah so yeah not a not an old dude by any stretch of the imagination and also it gets into launching jr too how he kind of came into the came into the force so a lot of cool stuff going on i would definitely recommend
1: man of a thousand faces
0: all right and uh Thresher.
1: So I, I uh, dove back into the world of cult films. I watched 1983's Rock and Rule. I haven't heard of Ah, yes.
0: Now. Innovated by the same team that did the Star Wars droids, Right.
1: Yes, which you can listen to us recap that series on in trouble again, a Star Wars droids podcast available on SequelCast 2 and friends. Ah, uh, but yeah, uh, Rock and Rule was an earlier science fiction effort they did, which was an in, in a sense an adult remake of a of a kids animated thing that they had done in the late seventies. But it's this it's this amazing uh, post apocalyptic post apocalyptic movie about the power of rock and roll uh, that has some amazing people uh, working on it. So like, uh, so a lot of the characters sing because most of the characters are musicians. So as a result, most of the music is diegetic. Uh, but uh, Debbie Harry is the singing voice for Angel. Lou Reed is the singing voice for Mock. Uh, they're voiced by Susan Roman and Don Franks to the actual character voices. Friend of the show, Maurice LaMarche, uh, has an p- early part in this as a sailor it it's it is a fascinating movie
2: this looks so cool is this oh, like, yeah. like like heavy like the heavy metal knockoff film or this looks awesome
1: no it's 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 really i think it's really not uh the yeah it, it i mean the the whole the whole premise is that there's this uh there's these uh there's this couple uh Omar and angel who are fronting this band with some friends of theirs and they really want to make it big uh and uh, after performing an open mic, they get spotted by this legendary rock star called Mock the Magic Man, who turns out is literally an evil wizard uh, That's awesome. who sort of talks like tries to win them over and get them on his side. But the reason is, th- the wonderful thing is they don't really get too deeply into what motivates Mach, but the implication is he is so jaded that, yeah, I might as well summon a demon that can end the world. Fuck it. I've yeah. done everything else. <laughs> Uh, and he needs Angel's voice as part of the ritual to summon the demon, uh, and so it's all about how he drives a wedge between her and the other bandmates, and like takes her to the big city, uh, New York, as they call it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and it's just it just and one of the things that's fascinating if you're because I I will say this this movie is definitely not for everybody, but if you're a fan of animation, I suspect you'll love it because one of the things they did is that. Each character was animated by one animator. Really? Yeah. So so at so yeah. So each yeah. so it's so it's really it is it is so amazing. So it's so like so for instance, the character Omar always animated by Frank Neeson. Uh, uh, Sus- uh so Angel always animated by Anne Marie Bardwell. Uh, Mock always animated by Robin Budd. And even when like multiple characters are on the screen. They are still animated by their individual animators. And it gives each character such unique personality and such a unique way of moving. You can just see the craftsmanship oozing off of every frame. And I found that so satisfying. And awesome. re- remember how we how back in In Trouble Again there was a villain in uh in droids that I mentioned ha- appeared to use the same exact mouth charts as mock from Rock and Rule? Yes. I yeah. could not uh Robin Bud may very well have worked on that episode. I couldn't find any I couldn't find any any like hard credit establishing Robin Bud as an animator on that episode, but as near as I can tell, everyone who regularly worked for Novana worked for everything, so I could totally believe he was brought in just for that character.
0: Hmm. I mean, yeah, what well, like... what we're referring to, Alex, is an episode of Star Wars Droids where the character's mouth is much better animated than the rest of the episode.
1: And it has <laughs> these, like, fangs and these sumptuous yeah, lips, but they're the same fangs and sumptuous limps, lips that Mock has.
2: That's hilarious. It looks like the main character on the the poster is holding, like, this, like, tron as hockey stick.
1: Yeah, that is... That or is, is that supposed to be a guitar, and that's not ah. really the guitar that he uses in the movie. That's a bit of an exaggeration.
2: <laughs> right. But... That is pretty
1: cool, though. Yeah, but no. If you like if you like animation, I heartily recommend this film.
2: Yeah, this looks awesome. Does it have a Blu-ray release?
1: Uh I don't know if it has a Blu-ray release. It did have a DVD release. Uh, And regrettably, the music is really neat, but regrettably, it never had an official soundtrack release. Some of the music Uh, was released as a B-side on some of the contributors' albums, because most of the music was also written by the people who did the singing. Uh, But uh, there was apparently a promotional tape that was sent to radio stations to promote the movie, but that tape was never reissued as a commercial release. I would love to get the full, the full music, because unfortunately, you rarely hear a full song in this movie. Everything is kind of cut down to be, an yeah. anima- to be part of the animated segments.
2: So I guess the, there's a lot of bootlegs uh, circulating on Laserdisc, and um, not Laserdisc, but on VHS, and they would actually be, it says here, these copies were uh, erroneously listed the film as having been done by Ralph Bakshi.
1: Oh yeah, that, that it is it is often <laughs> erroneously credited to him, even in like researched articles I have noticed. Mm. Right, even though it uh, has nothing to do with Ralph Bakshi.
0: Right. Um, That's hilarious. uh unfortunate he gets I mean, he was the most well known kind of animator or you know, director of that sort of movie, so I can see why it would be misattributed to him, but that it's still done is a bit unfortunate when you have things like internet movie database wikipedia i mean also you know yeah. books a lot of books on <laughs> the subjects
1: you can the credits the, of the movie oh that too yes if you if
0: might see the, that was perfect. <laughs> just look at the the poster right who does it say directed yeah. by oh it's not ralph bakshi okay okay
1: so it, um it's like in the napster days when every mildly humorous song was either tenacious d or weird al regardless of who actually recorded it
0: oh my or god yeah heard. sure I still wish I had an MP3 of uh, when all that stuff like LimeWire, all that stuff was real hot. Uh, Madonna put an MP3 on there with the name of her new album, and it was just her saying, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And I wish I still had that MP3.
2: That
0: <laughs> I thought, oh, kind of clever.
2: People would... Um... Would would uh, they would retitle like Wesley Willis songs as like a uh, Misfits like Skull Death, uh, you know, yeah. rare or uncut song? And like whoa, one, you know, a Misfits song I have heard, and you'd hear it like you know, suck a cheese ass instead of yeah. you know, the Misfits, which was
1: kind of hilarious. My, my favorite thing is that the bare naked ladies, uh, they in they intentionally leaked a whole album on uh, file sharing services. At at, like to to head that kind of piracy off, but the way they leaked it, it was the it was the full album, but it was also them talking over their full album, providing an audio commentary for it. Hmm. That's all. So like, if you were a fan, it was still worth something to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. How about that? Pretty cool. Well, let's let's do the sequel scene. We have uh, three. Uh, two characters in the scene. Why don't you set it up,
1: Thrasher? We have we have one exchange. This is uh this is towards the end of the film when they find the haunted inn with the gateway to hell that they use to rescue Su This is uh th- this is the sword. This is the tax collector and the swordsman just really quickly appraising their situation.
0: <laughs> uh, what? part are you gonna play, Alex?
2: I'll be uh, Ling Choy, uh Then
0: Thrasher, you gonna take the other one?
1: yeah sure i'll 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 do it as mako because that's a force i can do yep <laughs> today is a good day in hell they must we must they must have gotten sing back old evil is coming to collect the bride scholar it seems we have to storm hell
0: very good alex you have something you're typing
2: Oh, I looked, I found the Madonna, um... Oh, there you go. uh, ...video, yeah.
0: Cool. Um, right. So, next week, we're going to talk about A Chinese Ghost Story 2. I'm curious what they do for a sequel, but as you said, characters (laughs) lived at the end of the first one. Oh, yeah. Um, And it ends on a nice wide shot with Rainbow in the background and a reprise of the opening credits song, so... There you go. Curious to see where they go with this, and I might even rewatch the first one just to brush up on it a bit more to be a bit more familiar.
1: It's very with rewarding to re-watch. I, oh, well, I yeah, bet so it I'm would just be.
2: leaping out at you, yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, not just stuff. Characters leap out at you all the time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they bounce off trees. They fly. <laughs> they do everything.
0: They, uh, they push sing, people they into dance. the into the water. Yeah, into the lake. Yep.
2: They sing. They dance. That's everything.
0: Yep. Very good. Um So, you can follow, uh, you know, check out other episodes of the show at sequelcast2.com. Write a nice review for us over in the Apple Podcast app. All that stuff always helps. We're also available on Stitcher and Spotify and, you know, any place you can find a podcast. We're pretty much there. Um, Follow me on Twitter at M A T W B T. Thrasher.
1: You You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor.
0: Alex.
2: You can follow me on Twitter at Crab Nebula 1914.
0: Okay, so until next time uh, for a sequel cast two. This is Matt.
1: This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Sane. I will punish you as you've never been punished before.
2: We have been dueling every night for seven years.
1: Please, love is the most powerful weapon. Do not fight.
0: I need. Uh, I need to collect your taxes, sir. You owe uh, thirty-five um, <laughs> Chinese <laughs> dollars.
2: Oh, the currency exchange from Hong Kong to mainland. I just can't figure out these figures.
0: Oh, oh please, please try to pay next year, sir. Please, please it's, try. Well,
1: is that oh, uh, A little bit, I huh? well, was but like, like, Well, gee, goofy. gee, Pete, we have to convert oh, these goofy. yen. You know, like, that's that yeah. like some <laughs> weird money, some weird oh. money-changing scheme.
0: go Mickey, Tom. Oh, that's good, Droopy Dog. Yeah. Goofy'd be like... <laughs> Gosh, Mickey, we got to do some uh, financial malfeasance. Hook.
2: <laughs> There's another animated dog. I guess I have to participate. I <laughs>